Let's go ahead and get into the word today. Let's seek the Lord again in prayer. Father, thank you that we can get together, Lord. We thank you that we are your church. We are your body. We are your hands and feet, Lord. We thank you for calling us out of the world into your body, Lord, to serve you, to glorify you with our lives. You've given each of us a gift, Lord, a spiritual gift to edify the brethren, to build each other up so that we can be more like you, that we can be mature men and women in Christ. So help us, Lord, today as we get into your word. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Strengthen our faiths and encourage us, Lord. Whatever we're going through, help us, Lord, to rejoice in all circumstances. We pray that you forgive us of our sins, Lord. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bless this message. Remove any hindrances, anything that would get in the way of us seeing you, loving you, and glorifying you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Title of today's teaching is Bearing the Fruit of Joy. Bearing the Fruit of Joy. A couple weeks ago, we talked about bearing the fruit of love, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I wanted to walk through these fruits of the Spirit. And we did a Thanksgiving message last week. Hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving. Praise the Lord, we can celebrate Thanksgiving every day. So today is Thanksgiving as well. You didn't know that, did you? So we give thanks to the Lord every single day. And so I wanted to walk through the fruits of the Spirit. Love, now we're on joy. I want to get to peace, and then we'll see if we go through more after that. At least love, joy, and peace. So today is joy, and I told some of the brothers lately that I'm on this topical preaching soapbox, so to speak. That's what I feel like. God just keeps giving me topics to preach on, and today the fruit of the spirit, joy. It's an extremely important topic to me. I think there's a lot of importance placed on it in the scripture. And, you know, I I like to teach on things that have to do with Christian living, our walks with the Lord, how we're living in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And I don't know why this is. Maybe it's because of over the years, working and dealing with people and coming across people that call themselves Christians it doesn't seem like they want to grow in holiness. It doesn't seem, it hasn't seemed like they wanted to be more like Christ, that they wanted to bear a lot of fruit for the Lord. And I went through a fire academy several months, moved away from my wife early on in our marriage, moved to Riverside with my uncle. And I'm in this fire academy with 40 some odd guys. And it was as if I'm the only Christian there. I'm looking at other guys and they're all cussing, they're all partying, they're all living for the things of this world, even though many of them would probably call themselves Christians, it seemed like I was the only one. Playing college baseball, traveling around the country, remember going on a trip to Kansas with um, a lot of guys that got drafted to play professional baseball. Many of them called themselves Christians, yet they're all partying, all living for themselves. And I'm going, I'm just seeing this reoccurring theme in my life, whether I'm playing baseball, whether I'm at work, whether I'm in a fire academy, whether I'm working on the ambulance, wherever I'm at, people are calling themselves Christians, yet they're not living like the Lord. They don't want to grow in holiness. They don't desire to be more like Jesus. And I'm saying there's a disconnect here. What is going on? And then I look at my own life and I'd see my own deficiencies, my own weaknesses, my own struggles, and then to read in the Bible and see what God calls me to, I was seeing a disconnect there as well. And I was seeing how short I was falling before the Lord. And for years I was saying to myself, this can't be it. There's got to be more to Christianity than this. 
And that's been my pursuit over the last couple years. I believe God wants, has wanted and wants so much more for me and so much more for you. He's the God of love, the God of joy, the God of peace. He wants us to experience these things on a whole nother level and not to be content until we get there. He wants us to grow in our knowledge of him. He wants us to truly know him, to be radically changed by him. He wants us to be full of joy. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. He wants our joy to be made full. John 17, 13. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy made full in themselves. He's, that's his prayer to the father. John 17, the high priestly prayer that his joy would be made full in us. And so I want to be able to say like these great men of faith in the Bible, like Moses, when he wants more of the Lord, Lord, show me your glory. He says in Exodus 33, 13, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I may find favor in your sight. David says in Psalm 25, four and five, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in truth and teach me, for you are a God of my salvation. Psalm 27, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path. Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Paul in Philippians 3, 10 and 11 verses, I quote a lot, that I might know him, the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, that I may be conformed unto his death, in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He goes on to say, not that I have already obtained it or have become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He's like, I haven't laid hold of this yet. I'm straining. I'm going after Christ with all my might. I already know Jesus, but I want to know him more. He says in Philippians 3, 8, more than that, I count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Can we say these verses? Or Asaph in Psalm 73, 25 and 26, whom have I in heaven but you? Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God, you are the strength of my heart. You are my portion forever. All these men of God crying out to the Lord, I desire you. I want you. I want more of you. Show me your glory. Teach me your ways. This should be the cry of our hearts, that nothing else in this world would take center stage, but God and God alone. And you say, well, joy wasn't mentioned in any of those verses. And your teaching today is bearing the fruit of joy. What do those verses have to do with joy? And I'd submit to you everything. Why? Because God wants us to know him, to cherish him, to love him, to be satisfied in him, to glorify him, to draw near to him. And when we do, the closer we get to him, because he is the God of love. He is the God of peace. He is the God of joy. So the closer you get to him, the closer you're in his presence, the more joy you're going to have. I look back at my life at the times that I was distant from the Lord. 
were the times that I was the most empty. As I was putting together this message, I was remembering years in college to where I was just struggling, struggling with the world. I remember sitting in my car at Moore Park College playing a worldly song. I don't even know who gave me this CD. We didn't have iPads back then, or we didn't have CDs, cassettes even before that, believe it or not. It was just a song with F word after F word after F word. It was just F word, and I'm just sitting there listening to it. And I'm like, I was just empty. I wasn't following the Lord. I was confused. And so here I was just filling myself with garbage. And it was depressing. And thank God he brought me back to him. But it was the most unfulfilled time of my life. The times I was closest to the Lord were the times I was most satisfied, most fulfilled in him, the most joyful, no matter what was going on in my life. Because some of us can attach the joy in our lives to the circumstances that are going on. And if the circumstances are bad, our joy goes down. And if the circumstances are good, our joy goes up. But as Christians, God wants us to look beyond the circumstances, to look to him. I remember when I was working as an EMT, an overnight security guard. They called us security guards, but we really didn't do any security. There was no one breaking in. There was none of that. So I was an EMT, basically, an overnight EMT at a retirement community. I wasn't making a lot of money. Our bank account was dwindling. I was making $800 less than our bills and our rent was. Every month, $800, my savings was going down. And I was just watching it. And this financial lady that someone encouraged me and my wife to meet with was telling me, you need to get another job. What are you thinking working there? And I said, I'll keep praying about it, but I believe this is where God wants me. And she told me she was a Catholic Christian, and that was, that's a whole nother story. But she's like, you need another job. And I said, this is where I believe God's called me right now, and I'm going to keep praying about it, and I'm going to keep seeking him, but I'm at, I have joy. I have peace. Yes, my account's dwindling, but I trust him. I'm at a job where I'm seeking him every night. I'm meditating on his word. I'm memorizing scripture, I'm, and I'm content in him, and I'm trusting that he's going to open up another door. And then shortly thereafter, God opened up a part-time job with the church that filled the gap. Then he brought me to the rescue mission, which filled the gap even, even more. And here I am today. God will take care of us. He will provide for us when we put our trust in him. When we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Even earlier this week, Thanksgiving, I'm feasting. I'm enjoying some amazing meals. I'm watching way too much football. American football and regular football. And we're having a great time. And then a couple days after it, I'm eating all the food that we didn't finish that night. And it's been awesome. But the Lord's been showing me these last couple days because I thought, and this has happened many times in my life. If I can just get a vacation, if I can just get time off of work, if I can just get away, then I'll just relax and, and rest and be fulfilled and be satisfied and be joyful. If I can just get a break because it's, it's just because of all this stress and light and all this stuff going on in life. And that's why I'm not as joyful as I can, should be. Right. And then I get three days off of work and I'm just sitting around vegging and watching YouTube videos and not praying as much as I should and not reading the Bible as much as I should. And then the Lord reminds me, you're drifting. You're, you're without, whether you know it or not, Nick, you're finding your satisfaction in the things of this world. Yes, turkey's great. And yeah, all those desserts were great. And yeah, football's great. 
And believe me, I can sit in front of a TV and watch football and baseball and sports all day long, if you let me. But these things won't fulfill. These are gifts from God, but if we're not careful, these gifts can take our eyes off of the giver. And what will happen to our joy is it will go down. And that's what God reminded me over the last couple days. Nick, get into my word more. Nick, get close to me in prayer. You're starting to drift. Another reminder to get closer to him so that my joy will go up. So what I'm trying to say is in many of my messages and the drumbeat of my heart is let's know him. Let's grow in our knowledge of him. Let's truly know the Lord. Let's be filled. Let's be satisfied. Let's be overflowing with joy in him. And when we do, watch what amazing things he'll do in and through us. And let's not settle for less. He wants us to be full of love. He wants us to be overflowing with joy. He wants us to have a peace that passes understanding. And if we don't have it, he wants us to grow, to pursue him, to know him until we do have these things in our lives. Second Corinthians 7, 4, Paul says, I'm overflowing with joy in all of our affliction. Can you, can you have sorrows? Can you have afflictions? Can you have tribulations and rejoice? And the scripture says, yes. Second Corinthians 6, 10, Paul says, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. What kind of sorrows did he go through? Second Corinthians eleven twenty three, When he's comparing himself to the false apostles, the false teachers, the teachers that the Corinthian church were propping up and saying, those are super apostles. These are the great apostles. And Paul says, I'm going to compare myself to them. Let me show you my resume. Far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. He was beaten so many times he lost track. Can you imagine that? He says in 1 Corinthians 4.11, to this present hour, we are both hungry, we are thirsty, we're poorly clothed, we're roughly treated, and we're homeless. There's his resume. Beaten up, scum of the earth, he calls himself. Thrown to the streets, yet always rejoicing. Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 41. The apostles are testifying of Christ. The message is spreading like wildfire. Many people are getting saved. The religious leaders and the Pharisees are nervous and scared that their false establishment is going to be taken over. They throw the apostles in jail. They flog them, beat them up, threaten them, tell them not to preach anymore. And it says in verse 41, the disciples went their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. That's what I want to be like. Hebrews 10, 34 says, you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Matthew 5, 11, and 12, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says, Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is in heaven and it is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you say it, chapter 3 
verses 17 and 18. I love the ending of this book. This prophet is struggling. God, where are you? Why is evil happening? And this is what he concludes at the end of his letter. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. Though all these things are failing, though there's no food, though this isn't going my way, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. He is my strength. In Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Perhaps you've heard of the recent shooting that happened in Virginia. Seven people dead. Six people, including the gunman who turned the gun on himself. It's hard to keep track anymore of all the things going on in the news. You turn on the television, you look up the news, it reminds you that we're in a fallen world. And I was reading this story and it caught my attention and I thought it would tie into the message today. Because this gunman left behind a manifesto. He left behind a letter for us to read. Why did he kill six people? Why did he turn the gun on himself? What were his reasons? And he states in this letter, he was insulted. He was persecuted. He was mocked. He was belittled. And he even mentions that he could have yielded to the Holy Spirit. He could have submitted to the Holy Spirit, but he didn't. He could have responded with joy, but he didn't. Instead, he responded with the flesh, which Paul lays out in Galatians 5, anger, bitterness, resentment, which leads to death. He states in this letter, quote, sorry, God, I've failed you. This was not your fault, but my own. I've failed to listen to the groans of the Holy Spirit, which made me a poor representation of you. In this letter, he mentions a maintenance worker who was emanating with the Holy Spirit. He states, quote, I could feel her emanation of the Holy Spirit. He says, quote, but unlike me, she actually listened to the Holy Spirit and approached me in, a, in personnel and apologized to me. Towards the end of the letter, he says, quote, sorry, everyone, but I did not plan this. I promise things just fell in place like I was led by the Satan. Pretty heavy letter. He could have yielded to the Holy Spirit. He says she yielded to the Holy Spirit. She came and apologized to me. He had the mental awareness to realize that she was being led by the Holy Spirit. And that led her to forgive. And yet he chose to live in the flesh he chose to turn towards resentment and anger and bitterness, and with that came death. Instead of, like Jesus said, be blessed. When you're persecuted, when you're insulted, rejoice. He could have chose that. Instead, he was consumed. Seems to be a fulfillment of Galatians 5, 15 and 16. Paul says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. He said, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. 
walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. This is at the heart of the Christian life. Walk in the spirit so you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's a war going on in each of our souls. Every single day, the flesh wants to take over. And Paul says, crucify it, put it to death, walk in the spirit. This killer chose his own fate. He chose to walk in the flesh. He did not heed to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, as he admitted. Truly heartbreaking, truly a sad story. And may God comfort the families and the friends and those involved. So what we're looking at today is bearing the fruit of joy. And we're asking the question, what could cause us to become unfruitful in this area? What could choke out or what is choking out the joy in our lives? We looked at Paul who said sorrowful yet always rejoicing. We've looked at the apostles who were flogged and yet went away rejoicing. We looked at these Hebrew Christians who their houses and their property were taken away and yet they were rejoicing. And then there's Jesus who it says in Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Scripture gives us all these examples of men of faith who have come before us, who have kept the faith, who have grown in joy despite their circumstances. And the truth is, we're all bearing fruit. Even non-believers bear fruit. The killer in Virginia was bearing fruit. Listen to Romans 7.5. We're either bearing good fruit or we're bearing bad fruit. Romans 7.5, for, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law we're at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Paul says you were bearing fruit in your past life. If you're a Christian, when you were in the sinful flesh, you were bearing fruit that led to death. You were bearing rotten fruit. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 17, even so every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. If you'll turn with me to Matthew 12, 33, I want you to see what Jesus says to the religious leaders of his day. And I want to see what we can learn from the Pharisees to see what could choke out the joy in our lives today. Matthew 12, 33 through 35. Right before this, Jesus was healing people. And they said, Jesus, you're here healing people by the power of Beelzebub. They were unwilling to rejoice in Jesus and his miracles and attribute them to the Holy Spirit and to glorify God. And instead, they said, Satan is inspiring you to heal. And Jesus told them they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit and they'll have no forgiveness as long as they do that. He says in Matthew 12, 33, to the religious leaders, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. He's saying your fruit is rotten. Why was their fruit rotten? Why were the Pharisees bearing bad fruit? Instead of rejoicing in Jesus, instead of Jesus being their treasure, pride, 
power, and possessions were what were controlling them. Pride, power, and possessions. Look at what the scripture says about the Pharisees and what they loved. Because by the way, the Pharisees says we, would say, we love God. And Jesus said, if you loved God, you would love me too, because I am from God. Instead, the scripture says the Pharisees loved money. Luke 16, 14. The Pharisees loved the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Luke eleven forty three. They loved the places of honor at the banquets. Matthew 23, 6. They loved to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Matthew 6, 5. That's where their treasure was. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. They didn't love God. They didn't love the Lord. They didn't love Jesus. Essentially, they were selfish. They loved themselves. And Jesus, over and over again, called them out. I want to look at three practical tests to see what could be choking out the joy in our lives. Three practical tests. If your car's not running right or some of the lights on the dashboard go off, what do you typically do if you know nothing about cars like myself? You take it to someone that knows something about cars and what do they do? They'll run tests, typically. They'll run a diagnostic. They're going to try to get to the bottom of it and see what's going on with your car. And we need to do the same thing spiritually sometimes. If you don't have joy in your life, if you're lacking love, if you're lacking peace, you need to do a diagnostic, a spiritual test on your life and say, why is this? Why don't I have joy when the Bible calls me to be full of joy? Why don't I have this peace that passes understanding when the Bible calls me to have that? And so I want to give three tests for us to look at, three diagnostics. Number one, we need to check our treasure and check our heart. Check your treasure and check your heart. The two are tied together. As I mentioned, Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The question is, what's grabbing a hold of your heart? If Jesus is your treasure, if he's the one grabbing hold of your heart, if he's on the throne of your life, then Jesus is your treasure. And Jesus said, I will give you my joy and your joy will be full. Now, money in and of itself, isn't bad. The scripture nowhere says money is bad. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some who have longed for it have pierced themselves with many griefs and have wandered from the faith. Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. But flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. I love the passage. That's what I was memorizing when I was doing that security thing, which wasn't security. It was just Bible training for me. The love of money is a root. It's a root of all kinds of evil. Money in and of itself is just a piece of paper, which actually used to be backed by gold by our government, but not even that anymore. Now it's just a piece of paper. And it's not bad in and of itself. Either are important seats in the synagogue. Those aren't bad in and of themselves or respectful greetings in the marketplace, or places of honor at banquets. Those aren't bad in and of themselves. And praying on the street corners and in the synagogues, that's not bad. 
It's that the Pharisees loved these things. These were their treasures and they were taking God off the throne of their hearts. And if we're not careful, things like this can do the same things to our hearts as well. And that's why first John, you read this letter. It's all about love, loving God, loving Jesus. You read the letter of first John loves mentioned like 15, 20 times, love your neighbor. And he closes the letter with this verse, which seems like it's out of nowhere. Little children, guard yourself from idols. And then that's it. And it's like, where did that come from? You were talking about love and loving your neighbor and loving God and really hammering on these things and guard yourself from idols. Because these idols will choke out our love. These idols will choke out our joy. They will replace God on the throne of our hearts and lead us astray. And that's what happened with the Pharisees. And that's why Jesus confronted them because all the more he was right in front of them doing miracles. If anyone should have believed it was them, yet they were tied to these idols. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Greed in the Bible is described as idolatry. So these Pharisees, which were greedy, who loved money, they had these idols that they put before the Lord. And if we're not careful, these idols can creep into our lives as well. So when we're lacking in joy, there's most likely a form of greed, idolatry, or earthly treasure that is beginning to grab a hold of our hearts. And it's choking out our joy. And there's only one response that Paul says, put it to death. So address it, find out what it is, put it to death and keep God on the throne of your heart and realize that these are just gifts from him. They're not bad in and of themselves unless you allow them to replace God in your heart. Matthew 13, 22. The one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. Jesus said riches can deceive you. They can fool you. They can trick you. And then they can choke out the word of God, which maybe at one time was appetizing to you, was fulfilling to you, satisfying to you, was first and foremost in your life. And then now these riches come in, these things of this world, even worries, it says, and can choke it out, choke out the word and therefore choke out the joy. So test number one, may we not allow the gifts to get our eyes off the giver and choke out our joy. Test number two, check your fellowship. What do I mean? The Greek word for fellowship in the New Testament, koinonia, partnership, contribution, sharing in community. That's what we're doing today. We're fellowshipping. We're, we're a community of people that if we weren't in the Lord, many of us might not even be friends. We might not even like each other. Perhaps you've met some Christians. You're like, I don't even really like this person. If it wasn't for them following Jesus and submitting to him, and now I have a whole nother love for this person. I think I've heard my mom say that before because I'm like in my teenage years and after college, when I returned to the Lord, I'm like, I'm just having a hard time connecting with people at church, you know? And I've mentioned this before, maybe to you guys and to the young adults many times, I would say, I have friends in the world and I'm just so close to them. I mean, we're like 
we just hang out for hours and hours and hours and we play sports together and play cards together and we're so close. And then I come to church and it's like, okay, this person, they're a little weird. And I tell my wife, I'm like, I'm weird too. So I get it. But there's like this disconnect going on. What is it? And she's like, Nick, the more you love the Lord, the more you see how much they love the Lord, God just brings you together. And she'd mention certain people at church. She's like, Nick, I would never be friends with this person outside of the Lord. But I have amazing relationships and friendships because of what God has done in our lives. And I didn't understand it at the time. And then over the years, as I began to grow in the Lord and get my eyes off myself and look to others, God's like, he's opened my eyes to how awesome friendships and relationships can be in the church with people who truly love the Lord. Philippians 2, 17 and 18. Paul says, but even as, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice. And he says, I share my joy with you. And he says, you too rejoice and share your joy with me. He goes, I'm giving everything for the gospel. I'm giving everything to get the word of God to you, Philippians, and all the churches. I'm willing to lay my life down for it. And I'm rejoicing and I'm sharing my joy with you. And he's saying, can you do the same thing? Can you rejoice? And can you share your joy with me? Let's fellowship. Let's get together. Let's partner together in joy. And some of us don't, maybe haven't realized that, that when our joy is down, when our eyes are on ourselves maybe, or the things of this world, and our joy is choked out, we're not only ruining our own selves, our relationship with the Lord, our own walks with the Lord, but we're taking others down with us. When I'm lacking joy, I'm taking my wife down with me. I'm taking my kids down with me. And if I come to church and I'm lacking joy, I'm taking y'all down with me. But if I am full of joy, Paul's saying, share that with others. He goes on to say that in Philippians 1.4. Always offering prayers with joy in my every prayer for you all. He says, in view of your participation, the Greek word is koinonia. He says, in view of your fellowship, I'm sharing this joy in my prayers for you all in the gospel from the first day until now. Part of our fellowshipping and getting together is that we would be overflowing with joy and sharing that joy with one another. May the Lord help us to do that. Here's the third test. If we're lacking in joy, we need to check our senses, check our taste buds, check our hearing, check our eyesight. I know as we get older, some of those things start to diminish, right? I've heard of people taking their DMV tests or tests for jobs and memorizing the letters on the sheet that they give you and going in there and just nailing it even though they can't even see. I've heard of that. I've also heard of people, because I just took my test the other day for the DMV license thing. But anyhow, because of COVID, some people have lost taste. Maybe some of you have. I don't know. I've heard of people back in See Me. They said, I can't taste. One person told me, I can't taste bacon anymore. They're like, man, ever since COVID, bacon was awesome before COVID. But now I've lost my sense of smell. I've lost my taste buds. My taste buds. And so now this food that was once amazing is now flavorless. It's bland. It's a chewy substance. So I'll eat it to just sustain myself, this person said, but I, I wish I could smell it and taste it. Likewise, when our joy in the Lord is choked out, 
it's likely that our spiritual senses are off. They need to be recalibrated. The candy and the empty calories and the donuts of this world are grabbing hold of our taste buds, so to speak. The Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed. Some translations say, How joyful is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and, and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. God's word should be a delight to us. It should be joyful to us. Yes, there's times maybe when we're reading through the genealogies and first chronicles like I was the other day to where I'm like, okay, Lord, help me. There's something in here for me. I know there is. And I'm reading chapter after chapter, genealogy after genealogy. And yes, at times the word, it's like, okay, I want to be fulfilled by this. I want to be satisfied in this. There's something in here for me. And if we stay there, if we stay in his word, he's going to satisfy us. He promises us that his word will satisfy us. But it's hard. We have iPads and we have all these things and they, they hold our attention, right? They know psychologically what they're doing, and I don't want to get into all of that, but they know how to keep our attention. They pay millions and billions of dollars to get our attention and to get us to buy things. And in and of itself, that's not necessarily bad if we're on our iPhones and we're buying some stuff for Christmas or whatever, but it's hard to stay in God's word and really meditate on it and really spend more than 5, 10, 15 minutes in this if we're just like this, go, go, go on the phone. And so in Jeremiah, where he says, I ate your words and they became to me a joy and a delight, God's word should be a delight to us. We should long to get into his word. It shouldn't be a chore. It shouldn't be like, oh, I have to read the word today. And so if that's how it is, what I'm saying is our taste buds and our hearing and our eyesight needs to be recalibrated. Something is off. We need to be able to taste and see that he is good and rejoice in him. Psalm 119, 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. When God's word becomes boring, tasteless, bland, dulled to the eyes and ears, something is wrong. But God can fix that. And I read an article that if you've lost your taste and your smell from COVID, that can actually be fixed too. They're saying that's not long-term. So that's hope for some people. Let me close by sharing a couple verses from a man who drifted from the, the Lord. He had a mighty fall. His senses, his hearing, his sight, his taste was turned upside down. Psalm 51, verses 8 through 13, a man in need of desperate help. Listen to what he says. Make me to hear, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, of thy salvation, and renew a right spirit within me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, 
God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. He couldn't hear joy anymore. He couldn't taste and see that the Lord was good. So he pleads with the Lord, open my mouth. Let my tongue praise you. May I give you joy. May I hear your joy and gladness. And God answered that prayer. Of course, you know, the man is David. He fell into a grievous sin with Bathsheba. He drifted from the Lord. Many commentators believe it was maybe nine months, even to a year before Nathan rebuked him. He was living in sin for that long, excusing it. And here he pleads that the Lord would restore his joy. His joy was diminished. He got his eyes off the Lord. And perhaps that's happened to you. It's happened to me before. God wants us to fix our eyes on him, to taste and see that he is good, to rejoice in him always. And as Jesus said, that our joy would be full. That's my prayer for you and I today, that our joy would be full in him and that we wouldn't be content or satisfied until that's the case in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. Without you and your word, Lord, we're lost. We're headed for destruction. We'll have no joy, no peace, no love in our lives. Father, would you help us to rejoice in you always? And as your word says, again, I say rejoice. No matter what we're going through, no matter what life brings our way, may we rejoice in you. And may we be able to say like David, Restore to me the joy of my, of thy salvation. And Lord, would you open our lips that our mouths may declare your praise in Jesus name. Amen.